Hello and welcome to Wisdom and Productivity, the podcast of Dr. Efraim Martinez. I am a principal in search of wisdom, and I have found productivity to be a great tool for success. Today, I have the great honor of interviewing Joe Ignace, who runs a podcast that is all about filling the knowledge gap between what you learn in school and what you need to know in order to succeed in your 20s. Joe Ignace, who are you? Hey, how's it going? Um, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, who am I? Um, I am, well, basically at this point, a nobody from uh, Johnson City, Tennessee. <laughs> I uh, grew up and uh, homeschooled till, till fifth grade, went to high school, played soccer, and had a bunch of siblings growing up, six of his kids in the family. Went to uh, University of Tennessee um, went in, in 2016, and uh, I studied accounting and finance, so fun stuff there that everybody loves. Um, throughout my college experience, I was introduced to this internship uh, called Southwestern, and I went and sold educational resources door-to-door for six summers. I spent over 7,000 hours knocking on doors um, from about 2016 to this past year, 2022. Um, I was able to learn to lead teams, recruit. I ended up having, um, at the age of 23, between 23, 24, I ran a $1.2 million um, sales organization and business. Um, and had, well, I was in charge of about 35 people. And then this last uh, year, I-, I could talk about that forever, but <laughs> there's this uh, last year in October, um, I decided to quit that job, go full-time podcasting, run a, um, I helped build an online fitness company to six figures in under a year. And then um, after, and then in January, I started a consulting business to help people start their podcasts, help with personal branding and business coaching. Um, so now I guess that, that brings us to here in short order. Um, <laughs> but I can go in more detail on any of this. Definitely. Like, yeah. So let me ask you, uh, I remember, uh, when I was way younger, I sold knives door to door and I learned a few lessons. What were some lessons that you learned? selling stuff door to door because everybody has to start somewhere. Yeah, no, absolutely. So there's, there's like, I've recruited so long for that internship that there's like a million things that you can get out of the program. You know, I think, um, something every single person goes through who does like one summer, you know, I remember, um, there's, there's two moments, I guess I'd like to share. Um, the first one was on my second day selling, and I'm with my manager. His name is Zach. And, you know, I've got this uh, 2007 f- purple Ford Fusion. That was my car at 18. <laughs> I convinced my dad to uh, to buy this car before the summer. And if you've never heard of this internship and if you're like, oh, my gosh, door-to-door sales, like that must be terrible. And, oh, man, you must have been a terrible, pushy salesperson and all this kind of thing. It's like just to give a little context to this company. This company is 168 years old, uh, based out of Nashville. It's had people like Kevin Stitt, the current governor of Oklahoma, did the internship back in college. Marsha Blackburn's a U.S. senator out of Tennessee who did the internship back in college. There's uh, mm. a lot of really successful people who have started some really huge um, companies. Chip Gaines from Fixer Upper. Yeah. You know, he actually did the internship too. So it's a really, it's a really high quality internship and how they treat you and, 
and what you learn. It's really all about developing leadership and character to help you reach your goals in life. It's all about skills. And so people who are doing this, like the reason I did this, I just didn't want to go home and do Dairy Queen. And I wanted to start doing big things um, in life. And I wanted to set myself apart. And, and the idea of doing it is if you can do this, you're kind of set up for life. You know, there's just this really vibrant, incredible number of uh, alumni who you can network with. And, you know, networking is one of the most valuable things that you could ever do um, as a young person that I feel like a lot of people probably don't do. And, and you're not really taught how to network, um, which is something we discuss here in a little bit. But, you know, I remember, though, my second day I'm out here, you know, kind of gearing up to this. You, you've got a whole semester of prep. You're meeting with this mentor of yours. My, mine's name was Jacob. So I met with him for like 12 weeks before. And then we go to this seven day, really intense sales school. That's like 80 hours a week of training on how to sell and all mindset and attitude type training, because this job is literally attitude based. It's it. It's just like a hundred percent all about how you think. And they tell you your first three weeks is going to be the hardest part. And, and there's people who quit your first three weeks and you need to decide if you're going to quit or not. And if you're going to quit, you might as well not go. And they're very, very upfront about it, which I thought was really good. And so I decided I was never going to quit this thing. And no matter how hard it got and going into something like that, you put yourself against the wall and it just, when you do that and you say, there's no way I'm giving up on this, you figure out ways to make it work, mm. you know? And I remember my second day, I got Zach in the car here and, you know, I'd made this decision that no matter what, I'm not quitting. My first day I made no sales. I sold like something for no dollars down. Basically that's not a sale. It's just somebody like trying to be nice. <laughs> uh, I didn't know how to take an order. I was, uh, wasn't paying attention cause I was a, you know, freshman, going on sophomore year in college. So, you know, during the training, it's like uh, you're in la la land a little bit, or you don't know what to focus on. And my first, you know, actual internship and we're working and, you know, he's watching me work and giving me tips and I watch him work a little bit here and there. And then um, right around like 10 o'clock in the morning, I'm going to knock on this door, you know, and I'm like, okay, I'm not quitting. I'm going to figure out how to do this. You know, I'm not doing really good yet. I knew this was going to happen. And, um, but I can, I can get through this. You know, I play soccer my whole life. I was the captain on my high school team. I was the president. Well, at that time I was the secretary of the, the club soccer team at UT. I was like joined five clubs, you know, and, uh, I was a straight A kid, you know, I had all the, I had good grades. I was like, I can do this thing, you know, and I go and knock and they don't answer. And I come back to the car and, um, as a young man, I wanted to look cool. You know, I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to whip my car out of this driveway really fast just to show Zach that I'm a man and I don't care about anything. And uh, this is, this is some of the fun things you do as a young guy that uh, mm -hmm. you, you look back on and you really are like, oh, well, that wasn't a, wasn't a smart choice, but you've got to go through it. You've got to, you've got to fail first in order to know what not to do. And uh, so I'm very grateful for this moment. So I, I hit the gas really hard without really looking in my, my mirror. I start pulling back. And uh, there's this cattle fence on either side of the, the driveway because I'm in the country in uh, a small town in Texas called Crum. You'll never find it on a map. It's like 2,000 mm. people or less. And uh, that's where I was working my first three or four weeks selling you know, books, which is contrary to what most people think you do is go to the most high density population area. But it's actually you go to a smaller town because you can network really well. This is where I learned how to network, for example. And uh, so anyway, I'm pulling out. I'm in the country. I'm on this gravel driveway. And I hit the side of this fence. And I scraped the entire left side of my car. 
And, you know, we're talking 2007 Ford Fusion purple car, just a weird looking car. <laughs> and, you know, and it's uh, my first car. I, again, I, I convinced my dad to buy it for me. I walked, I was on campus my whole first year um, without a car. We had six kids, you know, it was just like, what I, you know, and I didn't, I didn't work enough in high school to afford a car, but I, I was accepting that I didn't need one for my first year because I was going to live in the dorms and I could walk everywhere and I had a bike. Um, so I convinced him to buy it for me to go do this internship because I was like, man, I don't want to go walk in the hot sun in, you know, in Texas my entire summer. I want to have a car. I want to be able to drive. I want to be able to do stuff. It's worth it. I'll, I'll pay you back at the end of the summer is what I told him when I do well, you know, so I was all in on this thing. And I, I remember at that moment, all of that going through my mind as I destroying the side of my car lime green paint that was the that was the color of the cattle fence lime green paint so we got this lime green paint smeared all across the left side of my car matching this wonderful purple color this deep dark purple so you know it looked great and as i stop because i catch myself after i go halfway across the car you know I hear, and it's my back left tire. I had popped it, and it's losing air immediately. So I had to pull forward, <laughs> further damaging my car, <laughs> and I scrape it even worse. There's this huge debt. I get forward before the, the tire's flat, and then the tire dies, and you feel that part of the car go down. And I'm sitting there like, oh, my gosh. I just convinced my dad to buy me this car, and I broke it my second day. I started to attack myself and I got angry. I'm like, you are an idiot. You're stupid. This is never going to work. And, and all of those types of things that you could think about saying in your head when you make a huge mistake like that. Um, and at that time, you know, with, with, with little life experience, it was the end of the world. I mean, I had, there was nothing that could make today better. I was so frustrated. And uh, the, my manager, Zach, who was just sitting next to me, you know, he was um, just smiling. The whole time, he, he didn't. He did not once look super frustrated this entire time. So he had done this internship for seven summers. So mm -hmm. basically, where I had ended my career was this is where he was in his career, and uh, he was smiling. And he gets out of the car and he's like, "Hey, let's go take a look." And he just got this great attitude, you know. And it, it's really frustrating me because I feel like he should be upset too, you know. <laughs> I wanted someone to to wallow in the misery with me, you know. Yes. It's funny how we do that a lot of times, right? And mm -hmm. um, you know, I was so upset and, and he's looking at it. He's like, Hey, you know, I, this is a bummer. We can get this fixed though. It's like not the end of the world. He's trying to, you know, help me out. He's like, do you know how to change a tire? And I was like, well, um, no, never done that before. He's like, well, do you have a, do you have a tire iron? And it's like, I looked in the back and I did, which was nice. We pulled that out. He's like, Hey, do you have a, do you have a Jack? And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> what is that? Right. And so he says, Oh, okay. Well, um, we let's go find a Jack. And so he's just so, so optimistic. He goes to the same house that we just knocked on. They didn't answer the door for me. Right. He goes and he knocks and the person opens the door for him. He says, what's up? Cause he said, Hey, we, we broke down in your driveway. Can we borrow a Jack? And the person comes to the door and is like, sure. It's right over there. And so the, the guy who didn't answer the door for me answered for him and gave us something to help us, you know, fix our car. <laughs> it was degrading, right? You're just like, oh, my <laughs> gosh, wow. Like this person like did, purposely didn't answer for me. This is hilarious. And so anyway, we get this jack and he's showing me how to jack up the car and how to, you know, get the lug nuts off. 
and uh, we ended up switching out the tire, the old for the for the little donut I had. He said, "Hey, you know what? Let's just keep going. You got like a, a hundred miles on that donut. You know, you're not going to drive far today. You'll probably just be in this neighborhood. You can get it fixed tomorrow. I just want to see what else you can do so I can help you." I said, "Okay." And you know, I'm in the car. I'm frustrated and frowning the whole time, and I'm angry. And I go to the next house and I knock, and I'm in a bad mood. And as it turns out, if you're in a bad mood, people don't treat you very well. Um, <laughs> Like a mirror, you know, right? No, yeah, mm -hmm. nobody wants to hang out with somebody who's angry and scowling and, you know, pessimistic. And so, you know, the next hour or so I'm working with him, it's, it's probably around 12 o'clock and, you know, nothing goes well. And I'm just like out there just, you know, going through the motions. And he says, hey, you know, we're halfway through the day. I've got to go work with another rookie the second half of the day. Rookie being a first time salesperson. Yeah. And, you know, he says, here, can you drop me off at the church I parked at so I can go you know, work with them. And I said, sure. And I'm still angry at this point. And this one moment, you know, just this anger had just been still there the entire time. And I just couldn't get through it. And, and he started to tell me a story. He said, Hey, you know, let me tell you a story about my best week ever. And it's like, Oh, that's exactly what I want to hear your best week ever on my worst day of my life. <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 just listen here. Look. And he says, Hey, you know, my best week ever, I made like $7,000, like six days, one time. And it was amazing feeling. And it was weird because I was just, I woke up and I just had this attitude, Joe, and I was crushing it. It's like Monday was a good day. Tuesday was weird. My knee kind of felt a little weird when I got out of the car at some point, but man, I just had a great sales day. And Wednesday, my knee was starting to swell a little bit and I was like walking on it. So I got like a brace, you know, and he said, uh, I was just still hurting Thursday, Friday. And then by Saturday, it's like, I had to like put my leg up on like a chair every time I sat down with the family to talk about their kid's education um, because I had to let the swelling drain or it was like too much pain. And he said he went through that whole week. He had his best week ever. And he said, you know what? On Sunday, it was our day off. And he said, you know what? I, I told my managers, hey, I need to go to the, I need to go to the ER. And I'm, I'm, I'm just listening to this and I'm like, what, what is he getting at? You know, Where is he and, going? Yeah. Yeah. He, he went to the ER, um, on his best week ever on his Sunday, the day off. And they told him he tore his MCL on Tuesday. So he had his best week ever in sales, made $7,000 on a torn MCL. And his attitude was so good that it didn't bother him at all. Wow. And he said, you know what? It's like life's 10% what happens. It's 90% how you react. You know, when my knee hurt, I could have just like given up on the week and tried to never think about it ever again because there was, you know, some pain. Or I could have reacted as I'm going to turn this into a really amazing story that I'm going to tell my grandkids. He says in life, you know, you get, you don't get to choose really what happens to you whatsoever. That's the 10%. That's, that's life happening to you. But you do get to choose how you react to it, what your attitude's like, what your effort's like after you're done. And you have a simple choice at all of these, you know, moments in life where you have a divergence in the roads that you choose. He said, you can make a good story, tell everybody about it the rest of your life and be really proud of it. Or you can give up, try to forget today, act like it never happens and, you know, lose confidence. He said, it's up to you. And then he basically gets out of the car. And, you know, you wouldn't think during a door-to-door -door internship, you know, out in the middle of nowhere, Texas, that that's the kind of stuff that you're faced with on a day-to-day -day basis is this choice of making a good story or not. And, you know, that was a really pivotal moment for me. I went back out there with a, with a fire under my butt and I said, I'm going to, I'm going to be successful. I'm going to make a good story to tell everybody. And I worked, it was 1230 to nine o'clock and I had no sales and I was working so hard 
and people were not buying. It was my second day. I wasn't good at this. You know, I'd never sold anything before, right? Other than maybe some cookie dough or whatever back in sixth grade, you know, like middle school fundraisers that you guys might have. Yes. <laughs> PTO or whatever. And uh, I was just, man, you know what? I just kept going. I was persistent in my effort, you know, and my attitude progressively got better throughout the day. And I started to smile more. And I started to forget about the bad thing that happened to me with my car. By the end of the day, I didn't care one bit because I had just kept moving forward, you know? And that was, it's so important to realize that if you just keep moving forward, like that stuff is just, it's just a small setback. It's not the end of the world. It shouldn't ruin your day. And by nine o'clock, I, I knocked on this door. It was the nicest Hispanic family living in like a double wide trailer, you know, that I'd ever met. And they're so nice. And they let me in and their English was not great. You know, um, we were in Texas after all, mm -hmm. um, their first generation. And, but we had a great conversation. They invited me in. It's almost dark, you know, and because it's middle, it's the summer, you know, June or late May. And they give me mac and cheese and they feed me and they don't ask questions. They're just getting to know me. And we had some bilingual little kids' books so they could learn Spanish and English, you know? Mm -hmm. So they bought a set of those um, from me at nine o'clock. And they told me next door, they knew the neighbor and she had kids. And then they said, you should go over there right after this. And so I did my, you know, I, did, I, I collected the money and, you know, gave them the receipt and all this kind of stuff and took a picture on Facebook. That's what you did. So you could post it, you know, yes. and I went next door and it's nine 30, it's dark out. And they said, oh, I'll just go over there anyway. So it's, it's like dark, you know, and I'm going up and she's happens to be sitting out on the porch at this double wide trailer. And, um, I waved to her and she saw me come from the neighbor. And so she was pretty chill. And I ended up sitting out in, in, you know, Texas at nine 30 at night on her little tiny porch. You know, we're talking like four by four feet or something. You know? <laughs> and we're sitting in these camping chairs and I'm getting eaten up by mosquitoes, but I don't care because I'm on a mission and she doesn't care either because she's used to it. And she ends up buying, uh, you know, a, a, a tiny package, like a $20 a month, website package. And so in that whole day of like 14 hours that I worked, you know, I probably only made a hundred bucks. But what I learned that day is that life is only 10% what happens is 90% how you react and keep going, have a good attitude and good things will happen to you because the last two doors bought for me, the last two people, right? And you learn a lot about how you think in your mentality because if I would have stopped at 855 because it's starting to get dark, I wouldn't have had, I wouldn't have made those two sales. You know, mm. if I had after the first sale thought, you know, it's pretty dark. I'll come back in the morning. I may never have met that mom. And so this, this, this principle of action cures fear, action cures pain. Just go for it. Don't stop. Don't look back. And by the way, most things aren't a big deal. It totally changed my life. And that was the pivotal point for the rest of my summer. And so the rest of my summer, I always worked till 930. I always finished every day with a good attitude. Well, I mean, not always, but, you know, I really tried to. Um, yeah, we're human after all. We're human after all. And, you know, I went through <laughs> the whole summer and, you know, there's so much I learned that first summer. But one of the, another thing I learned that I really want to mention is just like six weeks later, this is when I really learned that everything happens for a reason. I feel like God orchestrates a lot of this kind of stuff. I hope it's okay to mention that. And yeah. um, six weeks later, I'm picking up my friend and um, 
he was, he, he didn't have a car. So I had a car. It was a Saturday night. So we have Sunday off. Right. So I'm picking him up. It's kind of late. I'm picking him up from another Hispanic family. Um, cause we're in Texas and mm-hmm. by the way, Hispanic families are the, like the nicest people in the whole world. They're just like so good hearted and, uh, man, the community's great. They just, and their food's good too. They just, Oh, I have so many good stories of meeting awesome Hispanic people all over the country. Um, throughout my summers, I I've been over six different States or six different summers, you know, but I think it's technically four different states. I did Oklahoma like three times for some reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, six weeks later, you know, I'm picking them up from the Hispanic family, super nice. You know, the daughter's like 14, had made homemade tacos. And so I'm picking up, his name's Brian, and they give me all these tacos and we're eating, just chatting it up because we're basically done for the week, you know, not worried about anything, just chilling. And uh, we noticed the dad starts rolling out like this uh, tire. You know, he's like, hey, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, uh, our grandmother, you know, or like aunt or something um, is is pulled over on the side of the road. Her tire popped, you know, mm. and I, we were like, oh, like, hey, we're literally going back that way. Like, here, just toss that tire in our trunk and we'll just go change it for her. Because day two, I had learned how to change the tire. So I was really confident about this. Right. And so I, I go over there. Me and my buddy, Brian, we drive over. We park behind him because I had seen them on the way to this house. Cause it's like, just right on the, the one highway that you have to go past. We pull over to the shoulder. We say, Hey, you know, we just came over from your son's house and he gave us his tire. We just offered to change it for you. And they're like, Oh, sweet. This is great. You know? And they were, I, I got the lug nuts off and took off the old tire. And then Brian had put on the uh, donut. He started to tighten them and they started asking like, what, what do we do? Like, how do we know them? And we're like, Oh, well, they just got some educational stuff. And as it turned out, the grandmother was with the daughter and they had a bunch of kids and they were like, mm-hmm. oh, well, like what kind of books? And I'm like, oh, these kind. And I hand them the little sample book. <laughs> they start flipping through. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Like, it's so awesome. How much is it? And they're like, oh, we're like, oh, it's like 500 for the whole series, but it lasts to like sixth grade or whatever. And they're, and they were like, oh, cool. We'll take it. And so on the wow. side of the road, as we're changing a tire, they gave us 500 bucks and bought a whole <laughs> system of books from us um, because we helped them. And so at that moment, I realized day two of the summer was the best thing that could ever happen to me. Not only did I learn this principle of just keep going and life's 10% what happens, 90% how you react to it, but I also learned that things that seem bad in the moment are going are gonna to help you in the future. And so when you look at things in the past, right, and you're like, if, if something hard's hitting you right now, like there's a purpose behind it, you know, there's a reason that that's happening. It's like, you, you can look at that pop tire, which again, on the face of everything is not a big deal. Right. Mm-hmm. And you can think, wow, this is the worst thing could ever happen, which is exactly what I did. Or you say, you know what? I'm learning from this. I, I just learned how to change a tire. You know, this will probably serve me somewhere. And it's so hard in the moment of all the emotions to think that this will be a good thing for you in your future, but you just don't realize how big of an impact it's going to make for somebody else. Right. Because that skill yes of popping that tire and that emotion of knowing how frustrating it is made me a more compassionate person to go and say, Hey, I'll go help this lady on the side of the road who I don't know because I just, I know how to change a tire and I know how frustrating it can be. And therefore you become more compassionate, you know? And so it's all, it's all a whole big 360, you know, full circle. Wow. That was, I'm glad that happened. And then it, it paid off too. And just, and money too, which wasn't, which was great. <laughs> you know, it's wow. just, it's crazy how all that works, you know, but those are, those are, I'd say be a couple things. There's so much more than that. I mean, I could talk about this forever. So <laughs> um, I'm telling you, Joe, like uh, it takes some people a lifetime to learn those lessons. So thank you for sharing that. Steve Jobs said that life 
only makes sense when you look back and connect the dots. So, yes. uh, absolutely. Let me ask you a follow-up question. You talk about uh, internship. As, a, as you know, I'm a middle school principal, so I'm always guiding mm -hmm. uh, children, but also I'm a father, so I'm guiding my own children. And I told them the other day, I read an article of um, uh, the system of universities in New York where <clears throat> the computer science majors who were graduating were not obtaining jobs because the university didn't offer internship opportunities. So mm -hmm. they were graduating without any experience and they had a degree, a loan and no job. And you had the fortune to have internships. Uh, can you tell us um, the process uh, of selecting the right university to what you want to study in terms of uh, being able to have uh, access to internships and job opportunities? Yeah, this is a great question. So I, I have a, a two-part answer to this because this is something I'm actually trying to solve with the Knowledge Gap um, podcast and the Knowledge Gap Foundation so that you know this, this can be something where no matter where you go, I want people to be able to network because there's really a lot of good pros for small schools. There's a lot of pros for big schools and there's cons to both, of course. Everything's kind of a double-edged sword. Um, I, it is tough to go to a small school depending on the connections to get a lot of good networking experience and meet lots of people. But there's some small schools that have incredible alumni networks and it's just mm -hmm. as good as a big school, if not better sometimes. Um, my, a couple of my friends went to this place called Albion college, you know, and it's a tiny like D three school in middle of nowhere, Michigan. And, um, there's nothing around it, not a big town or anything, but the, the college is just like so well connected. Like I got connected through a couple guys that I recruited and I'm really good friends with now for Southwestern when I was working there, um, because they had an alumni network where they had assignments where you call alumni from the business school. And one of those alumni happened to be someone who did the Southwestern program, whose sister I knew from my first summer selling. And so we ended up having that connection and they got connected to the internship, you know, and they were obviously hungry. You know, they were like, okay, I want to go do door to door sales because it's going to be valuable. Most people don't think that way. <laughs> so who yeah. knows that might, that might be an anomaly, right? Where it's like, oh, well, these people were just so hungry that they figured it out. And I think that's an important thing to understand. It's like, I, I think it's less about the school that you go to. You know, I'll, I'll go through a couple of pros, cons of big versus small school community college. Um, but what I will say, no matter where you go, it's about your hunger. You know, if you go to a small school, big school, it doesn't matter. At, at the end of the day, are you hungry enough to go seek out the relationships, seek out, you know, to seek out networking, seek out the classes, seek out the right people, you know, figure out the right things. Because the, the simple thing is now it's like, if, if you're waiting for something to be handed to you, it's not going to be right. If, if that day, you know, I had popped my tire and given up, nothing was going to be handed to me. You can't, you can't be a victim about it. You need to go make stuff happen. It's like, it's not the college's job for them to get you internships. It's really just a marketing tool for them to get more students. If they have like a, something where it does make it easier for you to get internships, that's a strong reason that you might want to go there. So they're obviously invested and interested in doing that, but you still have to show up and get the internship and develop yourself. Right. So, you know, opportunities. Obviously, if you go to a huge school with tons of connections that have a huge budget for career recruitment, and there's tons of employers that come there for specific purposes, you know, if, you, if you're wanting to go be a, um, I think Western Michigan, right? If you want to go be a, a, a pilot, you go somewhere like that because they have a good recruiting, you know, um, 
system for that, right? If you want to go somewhere in the STEM field, it's like University of Michigan, um, you know, in Tennessee, it's like, if you want to go to a big school with the best business school in the state, it's University of Tennessee, essentially, unless you're kind of Ivy League like Vanderbilt, right? That's medical. So I think depending on the path that you actually want to go, what I would advise is that college is uh, college will give you tools, but it won't give you purpose. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like, it doesn't matter which college you go to if you don't have a purpose either. So if you know what you're trying to do and what you're trying to use college for, you will quickly figure out which college is going to set you up for that path. Right. If you want, again, if you want to go be a, a pilot, it's, it's like you're going to certain specific schools. You're going to be a doctor. You're going to go to certain specific schools. If you want to own a business, right. It's like, which school is going to have the better entrepreneurship program with, and it's really like entrepreneurship is less about the classes you'll learn. I mean, you'll definitely learn a lot in them. It's, but really it's more about the network that they're going to give you mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. the, the connections will get you way further in life than, you know, your ability at 18 to be able to start a business or 22 to start a business. Cause at 22, you're not going to be that great. You may have a lot of ideas, motivation, work hard, but there's just a lot to learn. If you can meet someone who, and, and get them to like you because you've developed your leadership, you've developed your character, right? Then you can go and they will invest in you because they usually entrepreneurs for the most part want to give back and help people. It's why they are doing something. They have some sort of mission that pushes them through all of the random, extremely difficult things to do to build a business, right? So it's yes. all about being likable and it's all about finding where you're going to see the best chance to get those connections in the easiest way possible. I would say big schools, you know, um, it's, it's harder to build a community sometimes, even though they have a lot of little micro communities. Um, it's different in a lot of the culture. If you go to big school, it's going to be more of a party culture. So if you're somebody who's susceptible to that and ends up wasting your entire college, I would, you know, uh, say go to a different school. I mean, again, it's all about your mindset. So you can find that at any school, of course. Um, smaller colleges are going to be, you know, if you're a Christian, you, my wife went to a private Christian school. So you really enjoyed that with the community, the relationships, and she loved learning about like theology. Um, and, and th her specific college, she got to, her, her mission was to help kids in like foster care, you know? Um, yeah. and so it's like, that made a lot more sense because she wanted to go that social work route. And so going to a college where people were really purpose driven, um, in order to go there. And then she also played tennis. So she got to play sports, for example. It just depends on what you like. I, I went to a big school. Um, I kind of missed playing soccer, but at least I got to play on the club team. But it had a business school that connected me with Southwestern. The University of Tennessee is where, you know, one of the biggest campuses in the world for that internship. And so I didn't know that going into it, but it worked out because they had a good business school and a good relationship and happened to be close. So I didn't really choose the, the college for that internship. It just happened to be a really good hub to meet people and have good internships. But I was also hungry. I mean, I remember going to school and I would, I was a freshman, never taking an accounting course and went to accounting job fairs because I wanted to like do something different, you know, I wanted to set myself up for success, right? So at the end of the day, there's a million different colleges you can do, you can do and you can go to. You can do, most states nowadays have this community college free two years kind of thing. Um, I just interviewed a student on the podcast about, community college and if it's worth it. And he's actually taking a gap year and we talk about that. So I recommend listening to that podcast to get it from a student who's actually going through that process. I didn't go to community college, but based on his interview and talking to friends who've done community college, there's not much community in community college. You're kind of staying at home. So you're not like getting a really, you're not growing as much as you would if you went to a different school and didn't, didn't live at home. 
Um, I would recommend that everyone who goes to college, if at all possible, to not live with their parents so they can develop independence, um, which is the, a crucial you know, building block to developing leadership character and figuring out your purpose. Um, when we live at home, you know, so in psychology, your brain associates places with mindsets. And so when you're a kid, you're used to being lazy most of the times. You're used to your parents taking care of you, making decisions. So when you're at that location, you don't think critically as if you had your own space. Super important not to live with your parents, whatever college you go to. Community Great college, advice. the classes. Thank you. The, the community college, you know, the classes you're going to get there are pretty low quality um, on the grand scheme of things. But honestly, again, the classes, like I don't use 80%, 90% of the classes from high school or college in my day-to-day -day life. What I actually mm -hmm. use the most is networking, people skills. I do use accounting just because I run businesses. So that works out pretty good. And, and that was sort of part of the plan after sophomore year um, of college. And, you know, with, what I really use is sales skills. and um, from my internship and I talk about mentality, what I gained through that actual real life experience. And so if you want to be successful, my, my, my advice for you, just to put a little bow on this would be go, go somewhere that's going to get you the most real life experience with the best opportunity to network, network with incredible people in your desired direction. And if you don't know your desired direction, if I might plug my podcast here, yeah, you, should yeah. listen to, you should listen to the knowledge gap on Spotify, Apple podcasts, or YouTube, if you're more visual, because, you know, we're basically a young person's guide to mastering their purpose. And if you don't have direction, it doesn't matter where you go. You're going to, you're going to end up pretty average and pretty unhappy with your job because 88% of people don't like their job. And the only thing I can really come up to after interviewing a ton of people over 20,000 families in the summers, which is really, you know, a pretty unique statistic. Most people don't do that most of their life. They don't meet that many people. And I did it in six summers. I saw people from varying success levels. I've, I've literally sat down in, in like multi hundred million dollar homes with people who, you know, are like the best business doctors ever. And I've sat down with people who live in trailers and they work, you know, in a coal mine and everything in between. And the difference between the different success levels, and I don't think money's everything, but the difference is always the mentality, not, not as often the opportunity right? It's usually the mentality. It's like, how do I figure out how to be successful? Right. And, uh, you know, life's 10%, what happens 90% how you react to it. Right. So it's gotta yes. be a hunger. If you don't know that purpose, it's going to be tough to have the motivation to go be hungry, to figure out the things necessary to live the life that you want to live. Cause everybody's got a dream, but very, very few people go and reach their dreams because a lot of people give up, right. They give up before, they get there and, and they don't believe in themselves, which is really what in the podcast, what we're trying to do is we're trying to teach you how to master that purpose so you can have motivation for a better life and live a life that you love living, doing things that don't feel like work to you and impacting people and helping others. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get back to the episode. That That's a great segue. Let's talk about the knowledge gap. Um, I uh, have this podcast with the purpose of um, sharing the wisdom and productivity of people that are kicking some serious butt in their areas. 
and I stumble into your uh, into your YouTube channel, and I saw you talking about Dale Carnegie, who's one of my favorite authors. And um, I am very curious about how the idea of this podcast came. Of um, I understand to giving that extra uh, knowledge that people need to know on how the real world works, uh, because often. Um, We don't realize how naive we are until we stumble with the reality of life. Uh, what should we know about the knowledge gap? Yeah, yeah. So do you want the origin story? Because it's a little bit longer yes. of a story. Okay, okay. I can Let's give you the it. origin story and how we've progressed because it's, it's been a, a journey so far. We're about eight or nine months in. I started really back in July. So, okay, so back in July, uh, it's July 4th, um, and I'm in – Lexington, Kentucky or Louisville, I, somewhere in Kentucky with my wife's parents, brother-in-law, sister-in-law, all that kind of stuff. So there's a little niece and, uh, you know, we're hanging out and her, her parents, uh, one of them's a pastor. And, uh, so that's, that's her father. And so we're, we're doing this little Bible study on like the day before the 4th of July or whatever, just because he got everybody together and we just, um, they, they had printed out some verses or whatever. And the, you know, I don't know if I'm going to take credit for this, but like the Christmas before, we had, you know, a little Bible study beforehand um, for Christmas, like Christmas Eve, maybe. And we're talking about, it's like Luke 23 or 24. Um, I should really remember the verse, but there's, there's a conversation that goes back and forth between Jesus and Pilate when Jesus is arrested. Pilate was the governor of um, Judea, I believe, right? Yeah. The governor of Jer Jerusalem in that area at the time, right? And so he's a Roman and, you know, these people, um, Pharisees, these religious leaders basically brought Jesus in front of Pilate and they've accused him of all these things that essentially are untrue. And Pilate's, you know, questioning Jesus and, you know, are you the king of the Jews? And he's asking all these sort of questions. And Jesus says, you have said so or whatever. And he asks him something. And then Jesus says, you know, um, I come to speak the truth and everyone on the side of truth, you know, will listen to me. And then Pilate says, what is truth? And that exchange, just like, I just felt like God spoke to me of like, hey, like you need to like, that's, this is an issue in 2023 and you need to go and talk about that. Um, and so I was like, whoa, it just hit me that like, wow, that is the, the concept for what, what needs to be talked about on this podcast, you know? And so I, I called it something like on the side of truth at the beginning. It was a confusing, you know, sort of thing. I, di I didn't know how to podcast, but I knew I needed to go do this thing and I needed to probably quit my job. And there's this whole story of going through quitting my job that was like painful and, you know, just like hard to like do because I just loved all the people and I really enjoyed what I was doing and the actual motivational aspect and being able to speak and doing all these things. But it just hit me. It's like, wow, people don't know what truth is. And so they don't have a clear path for their life, you know, is what it ended up, you know, turning out to be. And I was like, wow, you know, and I, I didn't know the name of the knowledge gap for a really long time until I had done like 15 or 20 episodes, you know, but so from that verse, you know, like what is truth? I just feel like people ask that question all the time and they don't really get any good answers to it. You know, it's, it's not a question often taught in schools nowadays. It's sort of told in schools that, you know, Hey, it has to be this way, which for math and history and a lot of these different things, like obviously, and when you're a kid and how you're learning, it's like some things have to be concrete for a lot of things. And so my, one of the most important things I talked about on a podcast one or two episodes ago was like, what you need to learn to do is how to think for yourself. One of the most important things that you should get out of school isn't like, okay, you need to be the best person at math. Well, maybe for engineering and maybe science for medical field and all these different, you know, industries, but you really need to learn how to learn and how to think for yourself. If you can learn how to learn, you can essentially go do anything you want. 
you know, and so that's the premise for the knowledge gap. It's like, hey, like whatever you want to do is just on the other side of this thing called the knowledge gap. And if you're able to learn the knowledge to bridge that gap, you can do that thing. So therefore, everything in life you can go accomplish if you want to. And then the question is, well, do you want to? And what do you want to accomplish? What do you want to do, right? And so then we talk about purpose all the time. So those are the two things that go together. And so after July, I basically made a bunch of episodes all over the place. I actually like totally failed and I didn't have a good you know, vision. I was just like, I motivated because I just cared about people and I wanted to go help these people. That's why I had recruited for that internship because it was so impactful in my life. I wanted to share it with others. And so, you know, um, interviewed some people, did some podcasts, and I just wanted to share what was on my heart about it. And I did that for a bunch of months and I didn't get much traction, but then I changed the name. I was literally, um, you know, cause I had 10 episodes and what I basically talk about is this, Hey, here's what you, most people think. And here's what, you know, here's this little tidbit of advice that is essentially bridging the knowledge gap. And I'm in my bed at like 1030 at night, I can't sleep. And all these ideas are coming to me for these names and I'm writing out like a hundred names. And then somewhere in there, right before bed, the knowledge gap, I just wrote out a little on my phone, you know? And I, I was thinking about it the next day and I was like, oh my gosh, like this is what I do every episode. We fill the knowledge gap. Every single episode, we are adding value in a way that's teaching people stuff that they normally don't hear, right? Things that aren't taught in school, right? And so part of the mission for the foundation and part of the theory behind why we talk about what we talk about on the show comes down to this idea that when you graduate high school and college and you're a young professional and you're in your 20s, right? You are making life-changing, life-altering decisions based on little to no life experience. And that's what we're really calling the knowledge gap. That knowledge gap in life experience causes people to make poor choices that end them up in part of the 88% of people who not only don't like their job, but don't use their major. 40% of people don't use their major. 40% of people change their major. And then there's this generation, there's this whole group of people who not only don't enjoy their jobs, but feel stuck. And then because they feel stuck, they feel purposeless. And because they feel purposeless, they don't help as many people as they could. Right. And so, man, if we could, if we could give some information that helps people leap the knowledge gap earlier in life, because who wouldn't make the better choice if they knew left or right, what's the better choice in my life that will help me get to where I want to be? Well, that means you have to know where you want to be. And then you need to know the differences and outcome of choices. And yes. that's where I, I see the biggest knowledge gap in school isn't the actual content of learning math, science, social studies, language, and all that kind of stuff. It's what do I do when I graduate <laughs> and how do I figure that out for myself? And that's what I want to bring to people every episode as best as I can. And we want to add value in mindset, self-awareness, productivity, um, all that kind of stuff, similar to what you're doing. Um, because if they can figure those things out earlier, I just think they'll have a better life. And as a result, we'll have more leaders. And from those leaders, they'll care more about people and then people will just help each other more and more often. And we can solve some of the, you know, um, issues in, 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 you know, outcome, basically just help people be more successful. Right. If that makes sense. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Uh, Joe, tell me, uh, reading books is such a luxury. Uh, can you tell us if you had to give two books to a loved one, one fiction and one nonfiction, what will those be? So, okay, there's there's a lot of really, really good books that I've read. I'm a big reader. And, um, you know, I think if you're going down the fiction route, 
the one that I'm going to, I mean, I like a lot of books, but there's this thing called the Amber Chronicles. It's a really good read um, by Roger Zelazny. And it's a, I think it's actually technically a 10 book series or something. It's a huge novel, like put together. It's like 1200 pages or something. And um, I read this book and it was just so incredible because like the first page, like I love books with really good hooks. The first page you're essentially this first person, you know, viewpoint of a guy named Corwin, but you don't know his name. He wakes up from a coma, like in this bedroom and, you know, in this like hospital and he feels drugged up and he's got casts on his legs from an injury and he's trying to figure out what his name is and all this kind of stuff. And it's just such an interesting little internal dialogue that it just, I immediately fall in love with, you immediately fall in love with the character. And he hears someone come down the the uh, hallway with a, and they come in. It's a nurse with a big needle, and he's like, "Oh, that's drugs. I need to not let that go into my system." And so he says, "Hey, you can't do that, you know." And then she walks out, comes in later with a big male nurse to like force him to do it or whatever. <laughs> um, in the meantime, before she came back, he goes and breaks the cast on his legs, some reason, and he's totally fine and healed, which he wasn't even expecting. And they come Ooh. in. And they don't know that he's fine. He's got this like metal thing from a desk or something. Like I don't actually remember, but he has like this weapon and then he just beats up the big guy, <laughs> gets out and starts to figure out this like trail of his thoughts and mind. And somehow he's like stronger than everyone else. It's, it's really interesting. I won't spoil it, but he goes on to figure out some different things about his life. And he turns out to be someone of extreme importance in the entire universe. And there's all of these politics that kind of roll into it. And, you know, as a young person, I think I was 15 or 16 when my dad gave me that book because he's, he, he loved that book growing up and you read about it. And it's the first time you really understand, you know, the different sides of like how politics kind of work on a, a way you can understand, which I think is really valuable to understand how people like, you know, try to manipulate others. Um, mm -hmm. you just see this incredible character arc from someone who's really, really selfish. And I want to be the King to how do I save the world and help others, which I think is really, mm -hmm. really valuable because I think we're all kind of born with this innate desire to compare ourselves to others. And through that comparison, we become extremely competitive, which I am a very competitive person, especially in sports and fun things like that. And just in life, um, and through that comparison and competition, we sort of get blinded and, and then we just kind of go for oh, I need to like make the most money. That's the way to win and beat everybody. And I just don't think, and I think that's kind of pushed in social media and culture when you see everybody with the nice cars and stuff or whatever, and they make the billions, millions of dollars. People are bragging how much money they make. And I think you can get blinded by that. And you see this character go from being blinded by fame, glory, and power to turning to basically sacrificing himself to save the world. And I think that's a really important thing because I think there's people who never kind of, you go through that and maybe you don't realize that that's what you're doing because I just think that fame, power, glory, and money is not actually the, the root of happiness. You know, I think the root of happiness is in serving others and helping others. Um, and that plays out in life. Amen. Definitely, I've gotten addicted to work before. You can ask my wife. I was a workaholic for a long time, traveled all the time. And it just, it just hurt relationships. You can't spend time with your family as much. You know, the money's okay, but it's really not worth it probably. And there's probably a better way to build it, you know? Um, where it's more residual or gives you your time back. And that's all comes down to purpose of how you want to live your life. If you know that you don't want to travel all the time, you want to be a family man, father, husband, all that kind of stuff. Then you, you then start to figure out how can I do all those same things at once, even if I want to be successful. So anyway, that book gives you a really good story arc to understand those different good and evil and 
um, just in an interesting way. It's a page turner. I could, I read that book in like uh, three, four days, like just so good. So you did um, not devour it. I devoured it. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay. So mm-hmm. other books. Okay. There's a lot of books I would recommend. Um, the Dale Carnegie book, um, how to win friends and influence people, I think is an integral book to read when you're super young. Yes. You like that book. And, oh. and the, the reason that one's so important is it helps you with self-awareness of understanding how you come off to people, which early in life, no offense to all of the people who haven't read this book or haven't thought about this yet. You probably come off a little aggressive. <laughs> you probably come off a little selfish you probably come off as disinterested. There's a lot of things that I realized from reading that book that I would write in an email or write in a paper or communicate to somebody that I, I realized was alienating, alienating me, alienating me from others. And so how to win friends and influence people is just how to articulate yourself. And it's like, you get what you want, but you make people want to help you. And it's a better way to navigate relationships, life and networking. And the earlier you can read that book and figure that out, I think that'll be helpful. You know, um, absolutely. So I would, I would that, recommend that, those that two. That book was transformational. Um, I read it late in life. My father used to talk to me. Uh, he read the Golden Book, which is a little brochure, very small, uh-huh. and he would talk about it. And I ignore, 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 ignore. And <laughs> in my career, I never thought about how my message was landing on people. And uh, I had a rough time when I started my career, and it was not until I read that book that I realized, oh my goodness, what the heck am I saying? Uh, my yeah. demeanor, my everything. Thank you. That's, that's, that's very uh, awesome you're sharing that. Uh, let me ask you, uh, Joe, who is or who are your biggest influences? So, you know, I, boy, I, I like to read and I like to base things off of a, a lot of what I've read, but, you know, obviously um, Jesus, Jesus Christ is a huge influence. I mean, I read the Bible more than anything. Um, that's the ultimate, he, he's the ultimate ideal and the ultimate, um, focus for me, you know? And, uh, so if, if that's unrelatable to some people who are listening, that's okay. But I would say, I love, I love CS Lewis books. I think there's a book called the Pilgrim's regress, not to add too many books to people's plates here. That's a really good one about, um, figuring out what you believe, which I think is an integral part of figuring out your purpose. Um, very philosophical type book. Um, I really like, um, recently I like Jordan Peterson who is uh, an author and does a podcast and all that kind of stuff. He's pretty interesting on the psychology and neuroscience behind success, which I really enjoy listening to as well. So, you know, I look up to all of them and I look up to my dad. My my dad's a really awesome person. (laughs) So I got real lucky with him. Um, Yeah. So he influenced me in a lot of ways. I always want to impress him, but you know, I would say those, those CS Lewis is an author, just some of his books really, help frame my mindset a lot. And then Jordan Peterson with the neuroscience. Um, I mean, I like a lot of people. David Goggins is really cool. He just talks about how you can't, you can't hurt me. You know, um, yeah. I'm a big yeah. Malcolm Gladwell fan. He, he has books like outliers, saw analytical, you know, research studies to see like what actually is true. You know, like he found that people in this small town, because they had really, really good relationships and community, they ate like the worst diets ever were really unhealthy, but they lived longer than people who were healthy, but had high stress, isolated lifestyles, which is kind of interesting. So I like, I like learning about stuff like that, but you know, Jesus, Jordan Peterson, you know, CS Lewis, and I wouldn't equate them all three on the same level. Obviously Jesus would be of course, way more of course. important, <laughs> but you know, I uh, like, uh, um, Jordan Peterson says, uh, before you criticize others, make your bed first. 
which is right. a, 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 a very important advice that I tend to share with my students uh, who, who love in, to uh, criticize others, especially through group chats and TikTok and Snapchat and all that kind of stuff. Thank yeah, you so much, absolutely. Joe. So, uh, Joe, uh, let's talk about imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. How do you address the moments where all humans, we feel like, mm, I'm not good enough. I don't think I can do that. Uh, I will never be able to do that. That's only other people, not me. How do you address that? Yeah, so imposter syndrome is really interesting. I, I have a couple of books I'll recommend at the end of this that I think everyone should read to help understand how identity is formed um, psychologically. Um, but I want to start off with illustrating a, a um, mindset and a, a logical fallacy that people do when they're thinking about what's possible, what's not possible. And then I want to use a story um, from the summer of my first summer where I learned to break belief barriers um, in a very applicable way um, to this. And so... The logical fallacy that everyone basically goes through when they when they're thinking when they're you know experiencing imposter syndrome, right? And imposter syndrome, if you don't know what that is, right? It's basically you don't believe that you can do something. You know, it, that's the, the simplest way to you know. It's when you doubt yourself, right? Every time you doubt yourself, it's imposter syndrome. Those are equivalent in the most basic definitions. So the logical fallacy is this: when when you're looking at a new thing you base your success of that new thing based on your past. And this doesn't make sense because your past, you were less successful, less experienced, didn't know as much as you do now. And if you tried something and failed, it probably was your first time. And if you're young, you're new at everything. You're new at everything, which means you suck at everything. Excuse that, you know, not as an insulting way, right? You are bad at everything when you first try it. Okay, if you're great at sports, it's because you played it longer than anybody else and tried harder. If you're good at music, it's because you did the same thing. So you have confidence in those areas because of your past successes. But what if you're trying something or have a goal to do something that's not based on past success? You're going to experience this thing called imposter syndrome. Because you do not have what I call a confidence anchor, something in your past that anchors you and your confidence and ability to accomplish this thing, you're going to doubt yourself. So this is something you have to face and figure out as quickly as possible. So because it's based on your past, most people make decisions based on their past, which again, that logical fallacy, because the future is not dictated by the past. What happened yesterday does not change what could happen today. And so if you base your decisions for your ability to succeed on the past, it's a lie. Yes. So your willingness to accomplish things in the future, right? You should base your goals and what is what you can actually do based on your willingness to learn. Because if you figure out how to learn and you're willing to learn, if you're basing your future off your motivation to learn and your willingness to try your hardest, right? Actually give it your best. That's how you should decide if you can or cannot be successful at something. If you're, it's, it's really more like this. If you're not willing to put in the effort it takes to be successful in that area, then don't do it. Don't believe that you can't. You can actually do anything. Just don't do that task because it's not that important to you. Instead, put your energy into a task that's more important than anything else to you. Because then you'll, you'll, you'll push through every self-doubt. You'll figure it out. You'll make it happen. When I was doing podcasting, the, the statistics are 97% of people quit at episode seven. And you feel oh. that, like, I don't know if you felt that when you were there, but I felt mm, it. Absolutely. Wow, I'm overwhelmed. This is hard. Mm -hmm. Nobody's listening. 
-hmm. if your mission isn't big enough, you would quit. But if your if your mission, if your why behind something is big enough, the how to do it and the what to do will figure itself out. So the way this plays out in real life. So the last two weeks of the summer selling books, you know, with Southwestern, they have this competition called the I Wanna Win competition. When you win, you get this bat with school colors, your name on it. And uh, I, I have someone floating around right here. Let me let me grab it. You there got it is it. right there. Right here, right? So you get your name on it. I want to win summer 2020. You know, you get these logos. And this is orange and white for University of Tennessee, which is playing Kentucky at 1 o'clock today. Which I'm excited. <laughs> Good Big luck. Fan. Thank you. And um, my I, I, the team needs it, not me. Um, and so you get this bat. And the only way to win is having your best week in sales one of the last two weeks of the summer. Your best week, mm -hmm. beating every other week, the best week you've ever had. So what happens, right? So, so we have this logical fallacy, and this is what puts us into the imposter syndrome. And then we, we tend to think in one of three ways, right? When we get to this contest, it really helps illustrate this because it's one, okay, you have two weeks left. The, the way to win this bat in this like special, there's more prizes than just that. But the way to win, you just have your best week ever. Logically, mm. You're the best at this job that you've ever been. You've sold more than you've ever sold before. You have more experience than you've ever had before. You have more customers who vouch for you than you've ever had before. It's the last two weeks of the summer. Logically, yes. you should have your best week ever, but here's what happens in the brain. One of three mentalities, one of three mentalities, right? Most of people live in the future or they live in the past. And you can probably think of everybody that you know, and they're one of these two categories. There's very few people who live in the present. That's the third thing, right? living in the present. So when you live in the future, right? What this is, this is like anxiety. This is worry. This is laziness. It's not going to matter, right? Because we don't think it's going to impact us. And usually when we're in the last two weeks of a 12 week summer, you haven't been home in 12 weeks. You've been working 80 hours a week. What a lot of people are thinking is I can't wait to get home. They start dreaming about the next two, like after the two weeks when I'm home and I see my girlfriend or I see my boyfriend or I see my parents again and they start dreaming. They get out of right here. They can't speed up time, but they dream about it and they inhibit and hinder and hurt the present because they're thinking about that. They stop trying their best. They don't give it their best. They make less money. They don't win the bat and they hurt their confidence. So living in the future does all of those things to you if you routinely do that. Now, you should be thinking about the future and planning. That's different. But living there, daydreaming all the time, wishing you were someone somewhere else is a waste of your time. And time's the most valuable asset. So don't waste your time by living in the future. In the, a lot of people, too, they live in the past. They start to second-guess themselves. They do what we just talked about with the imposter syndrome. They base their success and they're present based on the past. If they made a mistake, if they had their best week and they, they had beaten it in four weeks, they had their best week five weeks, so they don't know how to do it. They're putting this limitation on themselves, right? Both of them are limiting themselves. They're creating what we call belief barriers. Oh, I can't beat that. I've never beaten that. I couldn't, I bet I, that was luck. And they start talking themselves out of why they're successful. And they say, you know what? That's luck. There's no way for me to beat that. And they're living in the past. You know, living in the past, you know, is, is, is where you have regret in life. It's where you're living so far back that you just can't, you can't enjoy what you're doing right now. And so to avoid anxiety, worry, regrets, you know, and uh, to break through these belief barriers, you have to learn to live in the present. It's not just understanding this logical fallacy that's going to help you. You have to literally be like, okay, I'm not going to worry about two weeks from now. When I get there, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm not going to worry about four weeks past. 
I'm just going to be right here in this minute today, this hour, I'm going to just do my absolute best. And you do that for one of those weeks and you'll have your best week ever. And you'll have the best week in sales, the best money. And you'll build this confidence. That's just like, so, so incredible for the rest of your life. Cause you're like, Whoa, I just broke a belief barrier. And if you can learn how to learn to break belief barriers, you won't ever, you won't limit yourself. So you'll be able to break, put, break it, break through it. You may still limit yourself, but at least you'll have the toolbox to know how to overcome it. And you'll be able to catch it when it happens in real life. And so the summer was always this microcosm to real life, you know, and that's, that's so important when you're thinking about imposter syndrome, live in the present, stop living the past or future and don't base your future based on the past. Cause none of it, it's all a fallacy. Wow. Joe, <clears throat> once again, it takes people a lifetime to learn this and perhaps they never do. Uh, thank you so much for sharing this. I, I, um, you're so wise. I appreciate it. Thank so you. Let's talk about <laughs> productivity. Okay. Being successful includes being on top of our productivity, but this means different things for different people. How do you get to do all this stuff and still live a fructiferous life? Yeah. Yeah. Productivity. So I literally just did a podcast on this. So you guys should all go listen or watch that on YouTube um, on productivity. It comes out next Thursday. Well, I guess I don't know when this is actually going to air, but uh, it's, it's coming out like uh, five, February 23rd or something. You can cut that out if you need to. <laughs> but um, basically what I talked about on, on that podcast is um, how to set up your week and how to set up your days based on this book called The One Thing. Um, I'm a big believer that you don't you don't get anywhere in life by yourself. And so you should learn from as many people as you possibly can. And so this is why I keep quoting all these books. Because these are not original ideas, you know, at the end of the day. I mean, there's there's things I've experienced and I want to share that with people, but they're not original. So um what I do is on Sundays, I learned this from the Southwestern program, right? Uh, I would sit down and I would review my last week, I would reflect. Okay. Okay, what went well, what didn't what get go well? What do I need to focus on this week? And then what didn't get done and what did get done? And a lot of people are unproductive simply because they don't have a purpose, focus, or, or vision for the week. So they, they're kind of just waking up and they don't know what they're doing that day. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So on Sunday, every week- like some before, Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So on Sunday, before you even start the week, spend an hour just reflecting what went well, what should I focus on? What didn't go well and what didn't get done? Make that list of things that didn't get done and what your focus is. Put the focus at the top of everything you're doing so you can like, okay, I need to focus on patience this week because I got real frustrated last week, whatever, right? And um, I, I have these five tasks I need to get done. And then what you do is you look at your week and what you do is you, you do this rock, pebble, sands, which I'm sure you've heard of before. You put mm-hmm. urgent, important things in your schedule first, things that have to happen at certain times, right? And then you put important things that are unurgent that you can do anytime around those next right? So these are like the list of things that you didn't get done last week that need to get done, right? The urgent list would be things like going to class or going to work or getting this project done by this deadline, right? And you put all those things into your schedule first, you fill up your time. And what I would recommend is after putting that in your schedule, where you put it in your schedule matters, if at all possible, you put all of the most difficult and creative things that takes lots of energy first thing in the morning. So I recommend waking up, hitting the gym, eating a really good breakfast, showering, doing all of your stuff, reading a positive book to get your mind in the right way, and then doing all of the hardest, most intense, most creative things first thing in the morning from like 8 to 12. 
And it's amazing because when you just say no to meetings, you say no to distractions, you turn off your phone and you just focus on the one thing that basically makes everything else unnecessary is what that book's about. 12 to five, you do all of your miscellaneous tasks and meetings. You're 10 times more productive than putting meeting, trying to do a creative thing, putting meeting because your mind goes from different parts of the brain. When you're trying to be creative, it's a totally different it's a totally different mindset than when you're talking to somebody. And if yes. you split them up, it's hard. Everything takes 25 minutes is kind of the idea. If you, it takes 15 minutes to get really creative, like focusing on something and really diving in to be creative, 15 minutes to get into that mindset. And if someone distracts you, it takes 10 minutes to get out of it and figure out what the heck they're talking about. And then it takes 15 minutes to get back in. That's like a mm -hmm. lot of time, right? Yeah. And so what you do is, right, you, you front load your day with the hard stuff, the creative things, if at all possible, sometimes you can't. You know, and that's okay. That's just, maybe that's a meetings day and you just do meetings all day, right? Because it's just going to be hard to do the creative stuff. Um, and then from 12 to five, you do your miscellaneous, you do, do your um, meetings and all that kind of stuff. When I started doing that, I finished my final draft of my book that'll hopefully be coming out here in the summer um, in, a, in a week. I finished, thank you. Yes, the whole, the whole thing went through and edited it again from rough draft to final draft based on some comments of someone I had read it. And uh, I was able to do it and it came so easily in the morning because I had been procrastinating it for a couple months because it was so hard to get in that mindset. But, I, but it, when it was my only thing, no distractions, didn't have to worry about anything, the words just came to me. And so that's what I'm going to recommend, right? So you have your Sunday planning time, reflection time, and setting your intention for the week, planning your whole week for the most important things, right? Getting your schedule in the morning set up to where you do the same thing every morning, if at all possible, wake up, you hit the gym. You go, you eat, shower, you read a really positive, motivational book, just 10 pages. Don't make it long, 10 pages. You'll finish a 200-page book in 20 days. <laughs> Correct. Okay? It's, it's perfect. It'll work out. And then do your hardest stuff first until 12. Eat some food. If, you, if you're hungry, you're not going to be able to perform well. Eat some food. And the rest of the day, do your miscellaneous tasks, meet with people, do all the stuff where you're interpersonal. Because when you're in front of somebody, even if you're an introvert, I'm a big introvert. When you're in front of somebody, you have to be on. And so that's like an excuse to be focused. Whereas when you're alone, it's hard to be focused. So when you're the most energetic, that's when you should do your focus time. Rest of the evening, do whatever you want. You know, have fun, chill out with the fam, go play some sports. Highly recommend Amen. playing sports a bunch um, and spending time with people that you love because the whole purpose of being productive is essentially that you can have time in the, in the places that you want to have time. And a lot of times that is relationships. You know, that is people. People are more important than money and materialism. Absolutely. Let me ask you, um, in terms of productivity, what happens behind the scenes with your podcast? How do you get organized, your ideas, your episodes, uh, scheduling, all that kind of uh, uh, stuff that happens that we don't get to see? This is a great question. So there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes. So there's a ton of analytics that goes, goes along with it. So I'm on YouTube analytics all the time, seeing like what people like, what they didn't like, because I just want to make content around this purpose-driven idea that help people figure this thing out, help people figure out life and success earlier in life as early as possible. Even if you're 35 and haven't figured it out, there's still time. <laughs> and I want you to figure it out. You know, I just focus on the younger generation because they're more likely, at least the change now will make a, a maybe a greater impact, or at least they're more malleable or more able. Because a lot of times when you're 35, you've got like all of these, all of this risk that now you have in your life where you're taking care of things. So it's harder to pivot. I still want those people to pivot if they want to pivot, you know, so it's really good content for all the different ages. But, you know, I'm focusing on this analytics of what do people 
gravitate towards? What do they need? You know, what kind of content is helpful for the viewer? I, I literally base it all on the audience. It's not like, oh, here's my wonderful idea. No, I'm like, okay, like, what do you need to hear? So I spent a ton of time researching and looking at like, what does this audience member, what is my ideal people? What do they need to hear? Because I want to create stuff that is valuable for them. Cause this isn't about me. It's like, I'm not just doing this for fame. Although like, yes, you can make money from podcasts. And yes, it helps me get clients for my business. And yes, it is a product that I'm like, Hey, I run a podcast. I can help you start one. Those are all true. But at the end of the day, the podcast itself is not about any of that. It is a, I felt called to do this. And I'm going to figure out how to add enough value to you that you can be more successful. That's the goal. And so that's what I'm doing a lot of the time. Most of the time is that. Once I know what people are looking for and how I can help them, then, you know, it's as simple as just writing an outline, you know, and, and I've just uh, created this new outline going forward because I think people really like it where we go through, we got three segments. So we do an intro, an intro of an idea that we're going to talk about, and we then we'll watch a video that sort of plays out um, a behavior that is or isn't good. You know, we kind of just look at like a, a, a common habit in society um, from something popular like um, I think this next episode, we're going to watch a video from the pursuit of happiness. And mm. it's about Chris Gardner who goes into an interview with paint in his hair. And the whole episode is going to be about just show up, right? It's about this imposter syndrome, essentially that we're talking about here, right? Yeah. Um, how people basically will overthink and not show up and, and half of success in life, just showing up. And Chris Gardner is a guy in this movie who was in jail the night before painting his apartment, had paint in his hair. He's not in a suit and he's like in this high rise, 50 story building, you know, getting interviewed with these guys in suits who are millionaires and he shows up and most people don't show up when they think they're going to fail. They avoid mm. it. They give up. They just say, you know, what's not going to work out. It's not worth my time. I'll just go sulk at home and be upset. But he shows up and he gets the job because he has an incredible attitude and he makes it happen. And that doesn't work out every time. But it's not about it working out every time. It's about the principle of I always show up because I'm a man of integrity. I always show up. I, even if I'm going to fail, I go in there and I do my best. Even if I'm embarrassed, I'll learn from it. And sometimes I'll win, right? Yeah. And so we talk about that. And then we talk about, you know, um, the value of that. We, you know, and we keep this, try to keep this 15 minutes or less. So it's simple and easy to digest. And then, you know, we then, what we're going to do is we're going to look at like meaningful music. So we'll have a, a clip from Eminem's song, you know, Lose Yourself, you know, and we'll, we'll basically talk about how his lyrics are like, you've only got one shot, don't miss your chance, you know, and uh, just talk about his story a little bit. And we'll probably have an episode on Eight Mile, you know, or not, is it Nine Mile? It's Eight Mile, eight right? Mile. Mm -hmm. Eight Mile, right? On his, on his movie Eight Mile, just because it's so reflective of the mental battle that we have before anyone knows who you are, right? Of being successful. And, um, you know, we're just going to go into those lyrics and we basically going to, you know, listen to the song for a second and just talk about like, what does it mean? What is he trying to say? And how does that apply to your life? Because there's just so much really good, you know, if you dig in to these movies, these shows, this music, you know, different books, you can just see these wisdom, this wisdom, these lessons in life that will help you, you know, figure out your life faster. Right. Yes. And so that's how we're going to set it up. I think it's going to be enjoyable. We haven't done it this way before, but after just researching and thinking it through, I think, you know, it's really going to relate to people. It's going to be some of their favorite music. It's going to be some of their favorite movies, some of their favorite books um, that we're going to react to every single time. And we've seen in the past that that really helps people understand the points that are being made. 
you know, going forward. So all of that kind of creation and thinking those things through that will help the listener, the viewer understand the concepts more easily. That's the whole goal. Make it more entertaining, yeah. more educational in a way that you can digest that's relatable to who you are and what you're interested in. That's the goal of the podcast every single time. That's awesome. Uh, one more follow-up question. Um, um, off the camera, we talked about your keynoting. How do you organize yourself into writing something that is going to be a keynote speech? Yeah, so what I do is I go interview the leader and I ask them, what do your people need to hear the most? And so I basically base my keynotes that I may use over and over off of the initial conversation with the person. I say, what do your people struggle with? What do they need? And we end up getting a list of different things and then we'll narrow it down to one or two. And then um, I'll go create a keynote outline. Um, I have mistakenly made a PowerPoint first, for example, like never do that. What you wanna do is you wanna make an outline of like, okay, what's the idea? What's the, what's, you start with the end in mind. What's the result that I want people to have, right? What's the result you want people to have? And oftentimes it's to be inspired. Okay, so what does that mean? Be inspired. And sometimes it's like to help them grow their organization or whatever it is, right? So whatever your goal in mind is, you, you wrap everything else around that one single idea. And what you do is you create an outline of an overview. So, okay, what are the three or four ideas or two ideas or one idea that would help illustrate and help these people overcome this problem you know, based on the way I want them to feel. Because mm. um, that's what speaking is about. It's about, it's about yeah. how you make people feel, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we work backwards like that. So then I spend time like, okay, what's the age of the audience? You know, what are their interests? What do they like? What's relatable to them? And I try to find content ideas, you know, famous people, you know, little uh, sayings, you know, that basically are going to relate with what they're looking for. Like for this art of manliness, you know, uh, keynote that I'm doing for this fraternity, which I'm really excited about, you know, at the beginning of this, yeah, at the beginning <clears throat> of the speech, what's going to happen is I'm going to get up there and I'm bringing this bat because it's manly, you know, walk around with a big stick because I'm going to be talking about Teddy Roosevelt for part of the speech. And that's what he talks mm -hmm. about, speaks softly and carry a big stick. And people will laugh at that because they're men <laughs> and they're young men mm -hmm. and they think it's hilarious. And, um, what we're going to do is we're going to open up with what we're going to cover about, and I'm going to introduce myself. I'll get introduced, and that way we get a little bit of credibility going and say, before we start, though, this art of manliness talk, we need to have a manliness competition. And so, gentlemen, and I'm going to have uh, the executive team bring in a pull-up bar, and we're going to do a pull-up contest for a $50 gift card to Amazon or something. And so the beginning of the speech is going to be this enjoyable, fun, manly thing where we're all going to compete physically to see who's got the mentality to get the most pull-ups and we only have 10 minutes. So you got to like run up there. And so what we're basically, I'm going to be encouraging is action, you know, just do it, get out there, put yourself in front of people. Don't be nervous. Right. And so, so these relate to the principles of the talk. It's like a real world example. And essentially we're going to talk about that real world example, how it plays out in real life and all the principles behind, you know, doing pull-ups, like doing a yes. competition with, with your peers and just not, not caring and, you know, standing for something like in order to be, you know, like to be a man of integrity, you've got to, you've got to mm -hmm. say no to things and yes to things. And that means you create enemies. If you stand for something, then you either stand for something, or you stand for nothing, right? If you stand for something, there's people who stand against you. And so it's like, as a man, you've got to figure out what those things are for you. And that's okay. For example, right. So that's going to come down to the, you know, the, the pull-ups. Did you come down here and did you go for it and, and risk failing, risk ridicule, you know? And all that kind of stuff. So that's how we'll start. And then because that's manly and people are going to laugh and someone's going to win a gift card. And it's going to engage people because guess what? They're 18 to 22. 
they're not very engaged with speakers. So you got to do something different for that age range, right? Because um, again, I've done it wrong with high schoolers, but we didn't do something like this and they just didn't listen the whole time, right? So you've got to change things up. That's why it's, again, good to show up and fail because now you're like, okay, this is what I'll do next time. This will hopefully work. And um, so, you know, and then after that, you know, we, we talk about Teddy Roosevelt, some of these kinds of things. Then we talk about purpose and, you know, the, the most defining thing as a man is figuring out why you do what you do and what your personal purpose is and why and, and how you can basically help others and be a protector and all that kind of stuff. So that's yeah. uh those are like small ways that you can sort of think those things through. And that took, you know, it takes several days of thinking it through. So I don't, I do not fly by the seat of my pants anymore on impromptu speeches. It's like, no, I, you want to, you want to, cause I record them now too. And they'll be up on the YouTube channel. Um, mm. You want to make them so good that if someone watches it, they, they get the same thing on the video as they do in person. And they're laughing along and they're excited and you've got to engage them as well. So you're thinking about the big picture of not only just this audience, but, the greater audience of young men who might enjoy that clip as well. Fantastic. Um, <clears throat> Joe, this has been a great conversation. Anything else you would like to share with the listeners and viewers of the show? Yeah, I was thinking about this beforehand, um, you know, and, and I want, I want people to be inspired by this conversation and, you know, want to go do big things. And so, you know, what I would say is, um, I love that we talk about the imposter syndrome on this. And I would just say, if you're a person who doesn't know what your purpose is, that is the only question you need to answer for yourself is why do I do what I do? And everything else will figure itself out. Focus on your purpose, figure out what that is. And you'll very quickly figure out what major you're supposed to have. You'll, you'll figure out if you're past college, what career you should have. You'll figure out if, should I start this business? <laughs> you'll figure out, should I have this friend? Because if your purpose is, for example, to go help people, be relentlessly encouraging, add value to the world, then you're obviously going to stop making fun of people and hanging out with groups of people who think judgment is good. Um, you're going to stop hanging out with certain people who are going to hold you back from that. You're going to start picking classes, majors, books, mentors. You're going to start networking with the people who believe the same thing. And so once you figure out the purpose aspect You'll start finding friends. You'll start meeting people who believe the same thing. And the quicker you do that, the quicker that you're going to start seeing success in your life, feel more motivated, and know exactly what direction to go. Awesome. Thank you so much, Joe. Uh, I had such a great time. Um, I can't wait to keep seeing your videos and uh, definitely looking forward to your book. Thank you so much okay. i'm so glad that i got to be here i feel super blessed and i appreciate you like crazy and i hope that we uh, become pretty good friends and uh, stay absolutely. connected for many absolutely, years man. have a good one peace and calm thank you for listening to wisdom and productivity the podcast of dr eparim martinez Chulu. and i love that production Chill out.